All right. Good morning, everyone. You know, it's uh, really nice to see Mike in those videos there. We went to England with him a couple years ago in 2019. And the Moors, uh, when he was at the top doing that little panoramic thing, talking I was in the top of the world, videos and pictures do not do it justice. You feel so much higher up when you're actually on there. It's also really great being with them in England because it's like there's a little flip that switches somehow, and they, they change just a little bit while they're there. And the, the funnest thing about it is just, just ask them about driving on the roads out there sometime. I'm just going to tell you, and I, I won't name who right now, and I know they're wondering what I'm about to say here. Just ask both of them when they get back here, who got the speeding ticket while they were there? <laughs> the answer may surprise you. <clears throat> so when Mike asked me if I would do a message here, uh, it didn't take long for me to figure out what I wanted it to be about. Uh, some of you may know that my wife, Amy, who's back in the children's area, and I do a lot of work at Celebrate Recovery. It's a really interesting program, and it's a blessing in our lives because we've been able to see people and meet people and see God's story and all these people who've come from all walks of life with all these different kinds of struggles. We've had people uh, who've dealt with everything from drug addictions to financial issues uh, to just general life issues, like they, they can't seem to get life in order or there's anger or whatever. We've had people who are at the absolute rock bottom where just one more day without a change would be the end of them to people who are trying to make themselves better, who realize that they could be doing more with their lives and they want to get to that point. And I've heard a lot of testimonies while I've been there and I've seen how God's worked in people and I've, I've given my own testimony and done my own work there as well. And I've learned that there's a, a basic breakdown I can give you. In two sentences, I can probably give you the summary of most testimonies here. Before I fixed my relationship with God, my life was unlivable. Then, God gave me peace. That's really what it comes down to. Peace can be a lot of things. You know, literally, it's just the absence of conflict, right? Uh, it's Whether it's the opposite of war as an idea, or if it is uh, kind of an inner peace, a serenity. It could mean all sorts of different things. When I'm talking about peace today, I'm talking about the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's a little different. Think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right? Peace is the third item that is on that list right there. This is something that I'm talking about today that comes from Christ and the Holy Spirit. I'm defining this as peace as a supernatural gift from the Holy Spirit. Its wholeness and serenity is what you experience when you're in sync with God's plan for you. This can't be replicated without the Spirit. You have to have the Spirit in order to experience this. And I felt like this message was really important for us right now because I don't know if you've noticed, but peace has been a little hard to come by lately for a lot of us. I can't imagine what it'd be like going through this without having my Savior to lean on. I've been exhausted. I mean, last year, when the lockdowns were going on, I had a one- and a two-year-old child with me. I was watching them all day and trying to work full-time. I had a blood pressure spike. I had to go to the ER from all this. And yet, I actually had things relatively well because I was already working from home. That was easy enough. Uh, my wife was able to keep working at her job. We never had those issues of, are we going to be able to pay bills? Are we going to have uh, any of these other things going on? And for many others, I, I can't imagine what some people have gone through. And now we have 620,000 people plus dead in the U.S. alone. People are at each other's throats. It doesn't really matter what side of an issue you're on. There's someone on the other side of it that hates you for it, and there's a good chance that you probably don't like them very much for the same reason. This is not a really good environment to be in. It's not an environment of peace. It's an environment of stress. 
right? And starting from the very beginning of the pandemic, the American Psychological Association was really worried about the long-term effects this ongoing stress would have on people, and we're kind of seeing the results right now. 61% of American adults have had undesired weight change in the last year. 67% are getting more or less sleep than they desire. 35% of people can't seem to get out of bed. 32% of people can't fall asleep. 23% report a significant increase in alcohol consumption. Now, these are just the, the big three right here uh, that, that we have up on the board. There's been quite a few others that are in here. In general, this is not a good environment for your health emotionally, physically, or spiritually. The, if you were to ask the APA what their advice is, their advice is, you know, get a hobby, rest, make a schedule, get some time for yourself. Not bad advice, but that's not going to fix everything that's happening underneath. We need God, and we need one of God's greatest gifts to us, which is his peace. And there's a few things I want to make sure that we understand about peace today. I'm going to go through that, and then I want to talk about what I've seen through CR and through my other experiences are some of the bigger things that rob us of that peace and some of the traps we fall into. So the first thing to understand about this spiritual peace is that it's a command. This is something that God wants for us, and it's something that he wants us to experience. My favorite Bible verse of all time is Colossians 3.15. We've covered 3.16 before. You hear that one all around a lot. I love Colossians 3.15. This is from the New Living Translation. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Number one, I think that's just a beautiful statement in general. But there's a few things we can get from this. So the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, you know, that, that word rule from the original Greek can also be translated into be in control. You want the peace of Christ to be in control of your heart. It should be informing all of your decisions and all of your actions. And, and look here, members of one body were called to live in peace. That's talking about the church here. As members of Christ's body, as members of his church, this is something that is expected of us. Now, that's a little bit easier said than done, right? Like, you know, Hector, be at peace. <laughs> Whatever that means, right? How do you do that? Well, it actually tells us, be thankful. It's so hard to be depressed, angry, sad, lonely, any of these other things that rob you of your peace, it's so hard if you remember to be thankful. Uh, Mike said this before, but uh, my mother-in-law, Sandra, she is an expert at being able to take a bad situation and finding the good that's in it and being thankful for that good. And it makes such a difference in that. If you can focus on being thankful, that'll help you with your peace. The other thing is peace is a promise. Like I said, peace doesn't come very easy, but God has guaranteed us that he's going to help us find that peace. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, he says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. So the answer, it's pray about everything. Now, what does it say to worry about? If you're not worried about anything, you're worried about nothing, right? Uh, that doesn't come natural to me at all. But it tells us what to do about it. It doesn't just say, don't think about it. It doesn't say, get a hobby. It doesn't say, get some rest. It says, pray about what? And I don't know about you, but there's all these little things that I just want to be like, well, I just want to worry about this one a little bit longer. I'll pray about it later. I just want to keep it going in my mind. I don't know why that's our instinct, but that's something to watch out for. 
Now, it doesn't say that God's just going to do whatever we've asked for. What does it guarantee for us? That we will experience God's peace and that he'll guard our hearts and minds. So you're going to face adversity. It's going to happen no matter what. There's going to be things that come up in your life that will be hard to deal with. What God guarantees is that he will give you peace as we go through this. And finally, this is, in my opinion, the most important part. Peace is part of your outreach. So we're all commanded to witness to others. Every single follower of Christ is. And when you have Christ's peace, something sets you apart from everyone else. Hopefully, many of you have had this experience before where someone's come up to you and just said, how do you do it? How do you keep this all together? What are you doing differently than everyone else? Are you doing yoga? Can you give me the secret? This is a way that we have opportunities to reach out to people. It's actually the main way uh, that I do my witnessing. I tend to work a lot with atheists. I'd rather they approach me than me approach them. And they can see that while everything else is falling apart, there's something else working for me, and they want that. And that's why it's so important, just like we say in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. When you're really living this, people will come to you. You need to be ready for that. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Notice the gentle and respectful part that's here. That tells us another really key thing about this is we're not just responsible for pursuing peace for ourselves. You know, it is a command. But we're also responsible for doing what we can to maintain peace with everyone else. There's no good in going after someone and trying to insult their beliefs and their religion. They're just going to shut down right away. This is how you make sure that you stay open to people. And so this is just a real quick summary of my thoughts on peace here I wanted to go into before I talked about a couple things that can rob us of peace that I realized like a good halfway through here, this could be a whole series. But those are the three main takeaways I want you to keep in mind uh, as we're going on here. And if we know what peace is, we can ask ourselves, why are there so many Christians that have issues with peace. I'm sure you all know someone right there that has a hard time. They, they just are not at rest or at peace, as we would call it. What steals our peace? Well, the short answer is anything that takes you out of step with God. So we think of any of the issues we have out there, anger, hatred, resentment, drunkenness, uh, adultery, whatever else, anything that takes you out of step from God will rob you of your peace. But what we found uh, in Celebrate Recovery is that while people will have a lot of these different behaviors that are destroying them and pulling them apart from God, as you get through these different behaviors, you start to find a few different main causes at the root. So while you might have someone who has issues with drinking, once you peel back all those layers, that stems from somewhere else. It's not the drinking itself. And I want to talk about the two most common things that people, when they really dig down there, find are holding them back from Christ's peace. And the first thing is going to be fear. Now, fear by itself isn't a bad thing. This is something that God gave us to help us protect ourselves. It helps us make good choices, right? So I have a picture of an alley. It should be back up there. There it is. Free people online. It's vaguely right here somewhere. I don't know about you, but I'm not going down this alley at night by myself. Okay, just something about it tells me that's not a good idea. It's, it's making me make good decisions. Um, in fact, let's look at driving as an example here. I have a healthy fear of being hit by another car if I plow through every stop sign in my path, right? 
I also have a healthy fear that even if I do everything right, someone else may not be following the rules. So I'm going through this intersection. I'm scanning all of the other cars to see what's happening. I also understand that despite my best efforts, there is a chance I will get into a car accident. However, I'm not going to let that chance stop me from driving my car. I know that I still need to go where I'm going to go. So I'm going to do everything I can to mitigate it. I'm making some decisions based on fear, but I'm not acting in that fear. I'm not living in that fear. Now, where things would go wrong would be if I said, well, there's a chance if I get in a car, I'll be in a car wreck. So I'm never getting in a car again. What happens at that point is I have stopped myself from moving forward. I am stuck where I am at because fear, living in fear specifically, will paralyze you. It will keep you from doing what you need to do. And it turns into kind of a control issue. Remember we said before, pray about everything, give it all to God. If I'm living in fear and I'm paralyzed, I'm holding on to that because I want to be in control of this situation. I don't want to give up my fear of being in a car and being in a car wreck. I want that to be next to me to remind me that I could die, right? And this is where things go off the rails. We don't have time to look through all of the verses, but let's let's think about the Israelites when they were escaping Egypt. Really interesting thing when you consider the fact they had seen some of the biggest miracles in the Bible. The kingdom of Egypt, one of the most powerful kingdoms of the time, was brought to its knees by God. And yet, they get to the Red Sea, and they're immediately terrified because Pharaoh's army is charging them. God lets them through the Red Sea. Okay, well, now we're in the desert. We're going to starve to death. We're going to die of thirst. We're still not trusting. We're still not having faith that God is going to provide. So there's more strife and arguing, and God still provides. The Ten Commandments, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, ends with the Israelites deciding that, as they put it, this Moses fellow has deserted them. They have no idea where he's at. After everything that, that Moses has done for him and God has done for them, they don't trust that God's coming back. They're afraid they're abandoned. And it doesn't end great for them. God almost destroyed all of Israel and said, hey, Moses, I'm going to give you your own kingdom. Moses was very nice and interceded on their behalf, so they were allowed to live. But it comes to a head in the book of Numbers, in chapters 13 and 14. Again, we don't really have time to go through the whole verse. But the Israelites make it to the promised land. They are there. They've made it to the end of this destination. And their spies go in and they see all of these armies and giants and all this other stuff that just scares the heck out of them. What does Moses say? Moses says, it's fine. God's got our back. We can go through. Those spies decide to leak this information to the Israelite camp instead. And the camp is full of men crying and tearing their clothes and saying, oh, we'll all be destroyed. We can't possibly go in. And God says, fine, you're not going in. This generation's not going to make it. You're going to wander the desert for 40 years. I'll let the next generation do it once they've learned to trust me. They lost the promised land out of fear. How many blessings in your life do you lose out of fear? How many steps are you willing to take? We need to remember, just like we said back in... That Philippians 4, 6, the only way to get over this kind of fear is to be willing to trust God and to give everything to God. Again, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And the important part of that is follow through. Now, if you're at a point where you have trust issues and you're not sure that God is big enough to get you through whatever this is, first off, you've got bigger problems than fear at that point. But second, the Bible also has the answer for us there too in Romans eight thirty one through 34. 
what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? This is uh, Paul talking about uh, all the blessings that God has given us. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself Ha- <clears throat> for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. What this comes down to is, are you willing to say, all right, my God is bigger than any of the stuff I'm dealing with? And this is kind of the tougher question, because what we find a lot of times is people want to try to take care of the issue on their own. So the bigger question is not only is God bigger than whatever it is you're dealing with, ask yourself, is God bigger than you? Can he do more than what you can do? And if he can, why wouldn't you give it to him? Now, fear is a big part of the equation. The other side of it, for some of the most common issues that we see, is anger. These two are both relatively extreme emotions, and a lot of people might describe them as negative emotions when they're at their worst. What happens a lot with fear is that turns into anxieties, into control, and then when someone tries to take that control from you or offer you help, you go, no, don't help me out, this is mine. And it builds up and it gets worse and worse and worse. Now, anger is another natural instinct. It's your body and your mind getting ready for a fight. The problem is your mind and body aren't very good at knowing the difference between someone charging you on a battlefield and someone disagreeing with your point of view. The actual internal processes are roughly the same. It may be more extreme in one than the other, but the same things are happening inside of your body. And the problem with this is it gives you a sort of tunnel vision. Uh, Now, this is true for, for extreme fears and stuff like that as well, but I talk about it with anger because while fear paralyzes you, anger moves you to action. And it's usually not a very good action as you go through there. What happens in your mind is the logical parts of your brain start to wind down. The emotional and instinctual parts start to go into overdrive because that's what you need if you're about to throw down with a lion that's trying to attack you. However, it's also roughly equivalent to losing about 15 IQ points. You, God's with me. Um, it's roughly like losing 15 IQ points. You can't think as clearly when you're in this state. Uh, Funnest part is people who are very angry also tend to overestimate their own intelligence. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you knew that you were in the right for sure? And then you're at home a few hours later and you're like, I wasn't in the right, was I? You have a chance to cool down. You have a chance to think about it. Um, that's the problem with anger is it, it doesn't give you that chance to think. And it disrupts peace in multiple ways. First off, by definition, you can't be at peace when you're angry. They're almost polar opposites of each other at that point. The other thing is it's a great way to hurt yourself and the people around you. You're going to say and do things that you regret. Almost nothing done in anger is going to result in anything good. Now, I, I have people argue with me about this all the time, and I don't know why. I always thought it was pretty straightforward. If you don't want to take my word for it, if you don't want to take every psychologist on the planet's word for it, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.9, control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Proverbs 29.11, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. And there's about five others that are in the same vein here. Anger is almost always going to be foolish. But there's something even bigger, and I've given this its own slide because I want to drill this point home. Acting in anger is a sin. Okay? 
This is where I usually get people kind of uncomfortable and trying to fight back here a little bit. But again, don't take my word for it. Matthew 5.22, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. (laughs) And by the way, that's Matthew 5. That's the same chapter as the Beatitudes. That's the same chapter that talks about not getting divorced. It talks about... You know, if you just lust after someone, it's committing adultery. It talks about all these other things that we really like to talk about all the time, but we really shy away from anger for some reason. Maybe it's because it's something that we feel so naturally. It's just such a common thing in our lives. Uh, and, And to be clear, getting angry, it's an emotion. It happens. It's acting in that anger in particular uh, that's going to be destructive both to you and to the people around you. So how do you get out of anger? Well, it's a tough one. Because, again, it's something that comes very easily to many people. And I do hear sometimes people say, oh, well, it just runs in my family. We're hot-blooded. It's a family curse. Or, you know, I was always taught to to never let people pick on me. And so, you know, I I always get aggressive. I take the first shot. Whatever whatever the justification, it it doesn't matter. It's not good. And and by the way, if you are someone who deals with chronic anger management issues, if if it's something where you can't control that, this is something you need to get help for and you need to start now. Uh, and that's true for anyone experiencing that. The, uh, the only, the only uh, solutions I can really give you is you have to take yourself out of the moment and you have, to, you have to write yourself again. Remember what the Bible said before about being thankful. Try to go through what's being thankful in your mind. Get yourself oriented again. James 1.19 also says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So what is this telling us to do? You need to listen to the other person first. Don't assume anything about them. Don't assume their motivations. I can't tell you how many pointless fights my wife and I have had because we each have decided we know why the other person has done something. And it's almost never right. And yet we act on that, and we go into fights with that assumption. We project that onto them. Okay? You can't do that. The slow to speak part, I, I don't know about you, but I can feel it. I can feel when my blood is boiling right there, and I know I am about to say something I really shouldn't say. It has taken years, but I'm in a place where I can say, I can't do this right now. I have to back off about 45% of the time, but it's getting there. And the slow to get angry, again, try to, trying to keep... Uh, your heart open here. The, the biggest thing that you can remember is to be compassionate about the people around you. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And let me remind you, when the Bible defines love, the Bible constantly, like in the New Testament, it talks about love in several locations. It defines love as when uh, Jesus laid his do- life down for us. So if you're loving your enemies, are you willing to lay your life down for them? Just a little, little thought process there, right? Now, again, I'm just going to circle back one last time, and I'll start harping on this particular point, but people continue to argue with me about this, usually about now, and I almost always hear, well, here, and then when I'm talking about this at CR, I'll have someone come up at some point, and they'll always say something to the effect of, well, you know, Jesus had a righteous anger. Remember that time he flipped over all the tables in the temple? Okay, first off, don't compare yourself to Jesus. It's not a good look. And if I go just one more verse in James 1.20, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Okay, plain and simple. Now, 
Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this as clearly as I can. I want you to really consider this statement because this can sometimes be hard to hear. But it does not matter how right you feel. It doesn't matter how righteous you feel. It doesn't matter how morally or ethically on the high ground you are. If you're acting in anger, you're not acting for God. If you're, not acting, if you're acting in anger, you're not acting for God. And I, I bring this up because... Right now, especially, fear and anger are kind of ruling the day. And the two of them together are a very dangerous combination. A lot of times, things will prey on your fears and turn those fears into anger, and they keep building into each other in some violent storm. You know, why do you think every clickbait website, news channel, social media post, politician, marketing team, anyone who's interacting with you kind of outside of that, Why do you think all this stuff is designed to make you angry and afraid? It gets you to stop thinking, and it gets you to act. I I hear this phrase a lot right now. Oh, we can't just keep sitting down and taking this. We've got to fight back. We've got to play dirty. We've got to take the gloves off. We've got to play by their rules. That's not the command that we have. The command that we have is in Romans 12, 18 that says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, not everyone's going to like you, That's just how it is, and some people will hate you. But it's our job, our responsibility, to try to maintain that peace as much as we possibly can. We can't be fueling into those other things. So what I bring this back to is whenever you engage in in stuff like that, I'm terrible on certain social media. I have to stay off of it because I'm going to get on there, and I'm going to try to take someone down, and I'm going to regret it, and it's going to be tears, and it's going to be horrible. So I have to keep myself out of that situation. Keep yourself away from situations where you know you're going to get into that mode because the number one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to disrupt someone else's peace. You don't want to take that away from someone else because I mentioned before, and I thought it was the most important point, is that peace is your witness, okay? That is one of the main ways people will come to see you. And if they know that you're not at peace, they, they pick up on that. It seems like as, as Christians, we're held to a little bit of a higher standard, than everyone else, right? How many times have you thought of a, you can probably think right now of a news headline where a pastor was caught in some scandal, and that's newsworthy, even if there's people in the business world doing the same thing all the time, because, hey, he's a pastor. He's supposed to be better than that, right? People see the same thing about us when it comes to our peace and our fear and anger. I worked retail for nine years. If you want to know what I'm talking about, about how rough it is when someone, a Christian, isn't at peace, Go work at a return counter somewhere for a while or get a job as a waiter at a restaurant. Either one of those will work. Stay there for about a month. You'll know what I'm talking about. And the problem with this is legitimate concerns can be turned into weapons against us. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this or not. I'll, I'll probably be in trouble later with Sandra. She's increasingly getting nervous as I keep talking right now. But we used to hate the holiday season, Christmas, Thanksgiving, January. Yeah, there's a lot of extra work. There's a lot of overtime. Black Friday has the absolute worst of humanity come out from under a rock one day a year. But there was one other thing that for a lot of retail employees would just send a chill down our spine, and it was this phrase, war on Christmas. Now, it's true in the mid-2000s, a lot of major companies shifted their marketing. They started saying the phrase, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. This became a huge news cycle, and after a while, there was a rumor that went around that a certain retailer had banned their employees from saying Merry Christmas. Now, as it turns out, that wasn't true. 
you know, the employees can say whatever they want. And this is true when I was working at Sears. I just dated myself by saying I worked at Sears. But this was true when I was working at Sears. We could say anything that we wanted to. We knew, in general, you could say Merry Christmas to anyone, and you would maybe get a smile, a thank you, or whatever. But if you said Happy Holidays to the wrong person, you were going to get a takedown because they were going to tell you about how horrible it was that you were trying to get the Christ out of Christmas and all the rest of it, or they'd be ranting about the company. And I'm only bringing this up because there's one occasion that stuck out in my mind for years. This was like my second or third um, Christmas season. And I was, I was, I can't even remember what she was returning, but a lady was trying to do a return of some kind. Um, I said, happy holidays, just because you know, I, I try not to guess what people are doing. And I was ripped to shreds. It was rough, but it's fine. I could take it. I was like, you have bigger problems than me. Go, go ahead. Um, but I remember going back to a break room afterwards, and I had a coworker of mine. I knew she was an atheist at the time. Unfortunately, back then, I wasn't really great in the spirit myself, so I probably didn't give her the best response to this. But uh, she came back, and she's like, man, I can't believe how that lady was acting. I was like, yeah, it happened. She's like, but you see, you know, her going on like that, that's the reason you'll never see me in a church. They make people act like that. Okay, so we have a legit, a legit concern the Christ is coming out of Christmas. In general, the world's getting more secular with it. It's, it's tough for us to see. We don't want to see that. But when we let that concern go further, we let it disrupt our peace. We disrupt the peace of the people around us as well. And not only can it hurt your testimony, but it can turn it into kind of an anti-testimony. So I, my message back to all this, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad about anything or saying you shouldn't be concerned about stuff, uh, but you need to learn how to deal with this through the Lord and through the right way. And my question for you as you come through here is, what really is stealing your peace? I've only covered a couple things in this, a couple of the real base things, but beyond fear and anger, there's guilt, there's shame, there's lust. Anything that's really associated with the flesh, I want you to think today, what is stealing your peace and what do you need to get right with God? Mike said in his video earlier, and I, I love this concept when he brings up, Guilt is a conviction from God. This is telling you that there's something that you need to change and something you need to work on. And the best thing I can tell you about all this is that you're not meant to do this alone. If there is something in your life, God doesn't want you just going back and trying to take care of it by yourself. Yes, he'll be with you. You can bring it to him and help you as much as you can. But remember, we're members of one body. We're members of a community here. So there's resources available for you here at the church Um, We have plenty of small groups. If you're not a member of a small group, get in a small group. You need that community around you to be able to lean on because when you're at your worst, they can step in for you. If you're at that point where you're just trying to find a new way of doing things, if you're trying to figure out how to work through specific issues, programs like Celebrate Recovery are always open and always there for you. Um, Don't be afraid of counseling. There's nothing wrong of going and seeing a counselor. It's not like God can't work in you if a counselor is helping you through that, right? But don't try to do any of this alone. Work in the community that you were given. The big takeaway I want you to, be, I want you to get from this is that God wants you to be at peace. Peace is a command, it's a promise, and it's part of your witness. And it's my hope today that many of you are feeling that peace, and if you're not feeling that peace right now, I want to pray for you real quick. And I want to pray for the church in general as we end up here. So Father God, I want to thank you so much for the gifts that you've given us. 
I want to thank you for the sacrifice of your son that allowed us to have the connection with you that we have now. And, and Lord, now that we have this connection with you, we know that we need to take things further. While we've been saved, we still need to be healed. And so we ask that you guide us through that process. Be with us and bring your peace upon everyone who is in this room. Help us to be willing to let go of the things that we're holding on to. Let us let go of those worries. Let us let go of our fears and give them to you without hesitation. And give us that peace back, just like your word promised. Guard our hearts and our minds. We're going back out into the world now, Lord, and it is a tough place for us at the moment. People are dealing with loss. People are dealing with conflict. It's not easy. So remind us all that we're with you. And Lord, for the people here who are realizing that maybe they do need to get closer to you and get closer to their peace, guide them through this, Lord. Give them direction, give them resources, and let them know that there's great honor in coming back to being in step with you. And Lord, there's, there's people watching today who don't know you at all. Forget not knowing your peace. They don't even know your salvation. And if you are one of those people, I I invite you to pray along with me right now. If you want this peace of Jesus, if you want to be able to let those things go, pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe that you died on the cross just for my sins and you came back to life. And I believe in your promise of peace. And I believe that if I invite you into my heart, you will give me that peace. So I'm doing that now, Lord. Come into my heart and give me peace. And Lord, as the rest of us go back out into the world as well, help us to stay in community with each other and in contact with each other. Encourage us to contact each other and encourage us to pray with each other. Father God, I just want to thank you again for everything you've given us that we don't deserve. Thank you for this place, this church, and thank you for this opportunity to come before your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are going to do our offering now. We have a bucket over there by the door. Wave, Bob. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Um, you can also mail in to the church if you want to. It's 4000 North Colony Boulevard in the Colony, Texas, if you prefer to mail a check in, or you can drop it off at the door. I, I think there's an office staff working this week still. Uh, and then if you're online, you can go to uh, lakewayonline.org giving, and you can give from there. A quick note, if you did want to give to Kairos for Randy's ministry, there is a specific item on the drop down for that. So make sure you do your tithes and offerings in one go. And if you want to do something for Kairos, please make sure to separate that out so we know uh, where to send the funds to. Other than that, you all have a great week and thanks for having me.